Welcome to the AI Hustle Podcast, the podcast where we break down the latest in AI news, tools, and interview experts helping you hustle and do more using AI. If you've been following the podcast for a while, you'll know that over the last six months, I've been working on a stealth AI startup. Of the hundreds of projects I've covered, this is the one that I believe has the greatest potential. So today I'm excited to announce AI Box. AI Box is a no-code AI app building platform paired with the App Store for AI that lets you monetize your AI tools. The platform lets you build apps by linking together AI models like ChatGPT, MidJourney, and Eleven Labs eventually will integrate with software like Gmail, Trello, and Salesforce so you can use AI to automate every function in your organization. To get notified when we launch and be one of the first to build on the platform, you can join the waitlist at AIbox.ai. The link is in the show notes. We are currently raising a seed round of funding. If you're an investor that is focused on disruptive tech, I'd love to tell you more about the platform. You can reach out to me at jaden at AIbox.ai. I'll leave that email in the show notes. Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we are thrilled to have Samet Datar on the show. He is a seasoned computer vision research engineer with over six years experience in applied deep learning and computer vision. He has designed and delivered impactful solutions in the healthcare and retail sectors, serving thousands of users worldwide. He's a subject matter expert in developing and deploying cutting edge computer vision technologies, and we are excited to dive into his insights today. Welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thank you so much, Jaden. Uh, just so that to know, uh, all the views are completely my own and talking purely based from my past experience. I do not any I do not represent any company or anywhere that I work for. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jaden. Super excited to have you on the show. And yes, that sounds fantastic. Um, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is what kind of got you interested in working in this space in general in the beginning? Have you always been interested in tech? What was your kind of journey into this? Yeah, so my uh, journey was uh, somewhat very different compared to others. So I actually started my undergrad in uh, biomedical engineering. And uh, there uh, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to just uh, do my specialization in uh, computer vision and medical imaging. And uh, my final year thesis was actually on identification of cancerous regions. And that's where I got super interested into the imaging world and saw uh, how impactful it is and how uh, useful it is to the society. That's amazing. That's so interesting. Um, and, you know, growing up, was this an, an area that you had been interested in? I guess what kind of introduced you to it? Did you have family members or friends or people that were kind of interested in this space? Oh, no, actually, it was nobody. It was just by myself. Uh, I clearly didn't know. Initially, uh, I thought hardware is where I think I'm more interested in. And then uh, later, I realized that's not my cup of tea. And uh, I think medical imaging was closest to software uh, that I uh, really got exposed to while doing my undergrad. Because since my undergrad was not in computer science and it was not code intensive, the closest to coding was medical imaging. And uh, that's when I was super thrilled that I could actually contribute to a good amount of code. And uh, that got me interested in this, this space. Very cool. That's amazing. I'm wondering, can you elaborate a little bit on some of the key challenges you've encountered in applying computer vision to, you know, healthcare and the retail sector? Oh, yeah, sure. So uh, the biggest challenge is uh, scarcity of data, right? Uh, 
Throughout my experience working in the computer vision space, we have always started where there's absolutely no data, right? Okay. You still need to have a solution, but you don't have data. How do you uh, solve a problem? So you need to find creative ways to actually identify. And uh, when it comes to data scarcity, okay, you you have data scarcity, but you need to overcome and start somewhere, right? So yeah. the possible ways to start are um, getting a few uh, actual images that you are going to use later, uh, which is really hard. So, for example, when I'm working on the cancer, working in the cancer space, I would actually go to the patient and actually take an image of the patient and then come back and then uh, train my model and see how that works. Mm, okay. There are other techniques as well. There are some open source data sets that's available. We can take that initially to just start off and then see how the model performs and then put it out in the wild, put it out in the wild and then uh, create a platform to collect more data. So data scarcity is the first thing. Then the second thing is hardware limitation, right? Uh, based on the problem that you're solving, you need to exactly get the right uh, hardware as well, right? Um, at what speed the camera has to run, uh, what kind of accuracy you need. When it comes to healthcare, you should be extra careful. Uh, right. And it's not healthcare when it's like in other space sometimes, if you skip a few frames, it's fine. But uh, And also, these deep learning models are super heavy. Uh, what kind of models do you want to use? Do you want like super accurate models, which has to detect every single frame? Or it should be like, yeah, you're okay for a few, but uh, it's important to, uh, you know, uh, have the speed rather than accuracy. So I worked in both uh, areas and uh, both actually have equal importance. So uh, and it's a trade-off too. And uh, last thing is the annotation of data. You don't get labeled data. You don't get annotated data. So when I say annotated data, say if you have a um, a car in an image, so someone has to manually put a box around the car. And similarly, you need like thousands of images like that, and that you need to feed that you feed to the model, and then model starts doing the prediction, right? But annotating that data, what strategies can you use apart from doing it manually to annotate the data? These are some challenges that I've faced. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of approach some of those issues? For example, the issue of you know data quality when developing computer vision solutions. How? What, what's your approach on that? The, the first thing is to have something out there, right? If you sit back in your lab or if you sit back in your office waiting to get the best possible predicted model out there, that's never going to happen. You need to have a solution first out there because that helps you in getting more data. And once you have more data, you can build better models. And the data that you get is the actual data that you'll be dealing with in future, right? That's nice. So getting a platform out there and having that uh, platform to collect as much data as possible, it'll be wrong or it'll be like, say, 20% accurate and 80% wrong. That's fine. But you're getting a lot of data. You can go back. You can uh, iterate on it train your model, and then redeploy back rather than waiting forever to have the best model out there. That's one of the strategies that I've learned. That's really interesting. What would you say are some of the, for you and, and all the things that you are working on, um, right? You have a lot of knowledge in this space. What are some real world problems you've solved using computer vision and, and kind of what impacts have they had? So um, 
I worked in the healthcare space, especially in the oral cancer space, right? Uh, so, uh, patients, uh, at least this is this is in the Indian scenario in rural areas where uh, people are predominantly smoke and uh, they suffer from oral cancer, but they're very reluctant to go get themselves tested because the procedure is so painful. Uh, they actually have to go through a biopsy test, uh, which hurts a lot, and many people are reluctant to do that. How do you make it painless, right? Um, so, I uh, basically uh, saw this problem, and I was like, "Can we solve this painless, right? Non-invasive way? Can we really?" Mm. Solve? So, I actually went and took a photo, and then um, once you have the photo, you can actually say, put a box, and be like, "Yeah, I think this could be cancerous. Maybe you have to go for diagnosis, right?" So it may not be accurate, but what's happening is you are actually telling the patient that, hey, look, you seriously have a problem. So you have to go for a better treatment to just save yourself, right? So that way it was more convincing to the people and uh, that helped them to get better care. So that's when I saw like real value in computer vision wherein uh, you can solve the problem without pain. Uh, so... That, that was one space and the other space was basically like uh, like doing like face recognition uh, uh, like a, an automated attendance management system and uh, rather than using a book and a pen uh, you can basically take a snapshot and then you can recognize the faces and then do attendance that was the other space so uh, computer vision what it has done is uh the algorithms are not too crazy. You don't need to have like bunch of loops or um, crazy dynamic programming or anything. It's just about finding that small problem for which you can apply a computer vision model and then uh, the impact is so huge. That is how computer vision has always been. So uh, that way I enjoyed computer vision. Very, very interesting. And I would be curious to hear your opinion on this you've obviously worked a lot with computer vision and, and ways that this is, you know, helping making big impacts in some really incredible spaces. For example, like healthcare, I, I absolutely love your examples there because, you know, you really can see this is something that is helping the patient so much as making such a big positive impact. I'd be curious from your perspective, as you kind of look to the future with this technology, where do you see, um, you know, computer vision mixed with, you know, artificial intelligence and everything we're developing in in these spaces, where do you kind of see that in the future? What what kind of changes do you think will happen? What kind of a technology do we maybe not have today, but you think we may have in the future? Yeah, so like what happened is if you take like say a decade ago, right? was when uh, data science became extremely popular. Uh, data science, I mean uh, tabular data, right? Like say transaction data or say in the insurance space. Basically, it's just what you're doing is you just have rows and columns and you're just having more and more features, right? Uh, and you could build predictive models with statistical techniques like simple things like linear regression, logistic regression, random forest, things like that, right? But now what's happening is uh, computer vision is almost paired with the tabular data as well. Um, and the results on the computer vision side of it is so good that you can actually reason out as to why it is good and then you can find ways of how you can tag the computer vision features along with the tabular features and make bigger sense and have better decisions or maybe have decisions that probably you might not think but the 
model is actually giving you like that's where the future is kind of moving towards okay because what has happened is 10 years ago you had for example like say facebook right but today you have tiktok instagram reels lots and lots and lots of visual content right so you can get lot of information from visual content so when you pair visual content with tabular you can get way more insights i think kind of that's where the future is heading towards mm very very interesting mm-hmm. something that you mentioned earlier also struck me as fairly interesting you kind of mentioned the importance of like labeled high quality visual data what strategies do you recommend for organizations to source and utilize that type of data yeah so the thing is uh as a machine learning engineer or as a data scientist you are not not just doing a simple uh model training or uh, changing the architecture of the model but you should also be okay with doing a lot of legwork like the data quality why i'm coming to this is say for example you have a vendor who is actually doing the data quality for you right once they do it and when it comes back to you you have to actually check every single uh data that you have and once you feed it to the model see how the response is like and then if there are issues which there will always be you have to go back to the vendor and tell them because you have the maximum context and they don't have it right the context that you have they don't have it so the high quality data starts with you and ends with you uh other guys are just uh, supporting you but you should never assume that they are doing your job and you don't have to it's like it's your job in the end so that's where um high quality data comes into picture and the involvement of the stakeholders here very interesting you know earlier you you know you talked about the fact that you've done some really impressive things interesting things in the healthcare space I'd be curious if you can kind of discuss some of the ethical considerations that come into play when, you know, deploying computer vision technologies, especially in sensitive areas like healthcare. Yeah, so what has happened and even I struggle on a day-to-day basis, right? Uh when a model gives a certain output, it's very hard to understand why it is giving a certain output, right? Like take for example, uh Tesla, they are purely running on uh visual sensors that's yeah. what they right and then um they had the they had a image of a, a pickup truck which had like wood logs or something and uh, that was being shown like a traffic signal right mm-hmm. on the display itself on the display itself mm. visually as a human you see it like yeah it's a wood log and it's a truck it's not a signal right right but since you but since it's predicting as a signal the decisions are according to that like oh is it green is it red right it's right so deep learning models have this particular problem wherein it's so hard to interpret why the model gave a certain output right mm-hmm. now coming back to the healthcare angle it's very hard to say someone that hey i think you have cancer right it's it's very hard and mm-hmm. you need to have like ample amount of information to back it up right yeah so um a model interpretability is something that there's a lot of research going on in this space wherein um you can clearly visualize why the model actually gave a certain output like you can visualize the layers of the neural network and you can be like hey i'm not sure but this is what the neural network says and this is the reason i feel 
the output is somewhat like this. Like the mm-hmm. reasoning like this helps. And second thing is, it should be always backed by subject matter experts, especially in the healthcare space. Right? Uh, three people gives three different answers. Mm-hmm. Right? And the more specialized the doctor is, the answers are more different. But mm-hmm. uh, how do you get that? Right? So it's always a good. to have an ai solution with the support of a doctor wherein you're actually helping the doctor but you're not really uh, taking over the doctor because uh, it's like way far in the line i don't think uh, ai is there yet but okay. there are some areas where um, when you have a solution you should have explainability techniques along with it mm-hmm. this is why the model told Uh, this is the answer that's when i think you will be uh, in a better place rather than yeah okay this is the probability 0.9 and this is what it is that's okay yeah that that makes a lot of sense what from your experience do you think are some kind of emerging trends in computer vision that you find particularly exciting or promising today uh the emerging trends are one is like the the self supervised learning wherein uh you just give the data and the model does the labeling for you uh okay. that's the emerging field and of course the gen ai is the next big thing right so you all mm-hmm. already have the chat gpt wherein uh you give a question and it gives you an answer right uh and there are a lot of vision models wherein you just give an image and it gives the description of it right can you mm-hmm. couple that with chat gpt and build a better model uh, build better models and eventually better Uh, applications, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if, um, this is the emerging trend. Very, very interesting. Yeah, that that's it's exciting stuff. It's exciting to be kind of uh, watching as it unfolds so fast. Everything's advancing. Right. I'm wondering, could you share some insights into some of the specific challenges and solutions associated with item recognition in retail? I know there's a lot of different kind of challenges and nuances there. Right, right. So one thing is in the retail space. Uh, just the sheer number of products right like you have so many products uh it's just so hard to do the recognition uh so how do you do the recognition for that and uh when it comes to visual recognition when it comes to supervised learning uh what you're doing is uh you're basically doing prediction from the prior data you have now what is happening is when you run some kind of a campaign when the packaging changes right the model results also change automatically interesting oh man that's so complex how do you handle these situations and then the third thing is like the sizes right like you have so many different sizes they all look the same and uh, with vision you can do only so much so that's when you need to think about other signals like how do you handle like the sizes do you want to bring in like point clouds and things like that which helps you in uh, making better decisions uh these are all the challenges that we face in the uh, retail space very interesting yeah and for the and for people listening that are trying to understanding like kind of what we're talking about there's a number of different retail retailers and stores where essentially they have like a a little shelf and you can come and put all of your products on the shelf they'll scan them analyze them then they'll just tell you what the price is it's kind of like self checkout that you know you do at Walmart except instead of scanning all the items you can just put all the items on a shelf so there's really cool things happening with computer vision right now but Yeah, like you're imagining, I imagine that it just throws everything for a loop when 
you know, for example, you have a can of Coca-Cola, you know what that is, but if they do a new campaign and there's a new packaging on there or they change the size of the can or the bottle, all of a sudden, like you got to refigure out what every single item is as it's constantly changing with thousands of variations. Right. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine the headache, but I'm, I'm happy uh, right. you're tackling it because it's right. big, big challenge. When you do something like this, how do you kind of measure the success or the effectiveness of a computer vision project? Yeah, this is something uh, that's super important, right? Uh, say in your lab or in your environment, it's working really well. Once it goes in the wild, um, it's not working well, right? So how do you handle the AI adaptability, right? How many people are ready to accept the technology? How many people are using it regularly, right? So this is when uh, MLOps and model monitoring, uh, they come into picture and um, you need to have metrics, you need to have dashboard and uh, continuously keep monitoring and seeing what's going on. Is it doing really well? Are the models off? Are people not happy? Like what's going on, right? So data monitoring, model monitoring, these actually play a big role and uh, the metrics are uh, very different. It's not just uh, the regular accuracy metric, but it's more on a private level and the metric should be translated to business, right? So the metrics are very uh, subjective and the definition of the metric is not very straightforward. So it's very tailor-made to the use case that mm -hmm. translates to business. So tracking these metrics actually help you know how good or how bad uh, the models are doing. And yeah, AI adaptability is not easy. And uh, we need to find different ways of monitoring to make sure uh, we have a successful product. Very interesting. Um, really appreciate you coming on the show today. I would love to ask you as kind of a, a question as we're wrapping up here, you know, what advice would you give to aspiring engineers who want to specialize in computer vision and, and deep learning today? Yeah, uh, based on my experience uh, coming from a non-computer science background to a computer science background, what I really noticed is uh, the algorithms and data structures play a big role because um, you are uh, coding the equations, right? So you need to know your basics well. Uh, having an expertise in one language is enough, but being an expert in that language is the most important thing, to know the syntaxes. That's the most important thing. And when it comes to deep learning, machine learning, I think uh, the Stanford CS231N course is the starting point because there uh, they actually um, teach how to how the algorithms work by actually um, coding from scratch without using any libraries. So in the process, you learn all the internal uh, components that is hidden when you just use a library. So that's where uh, your learning is maximum. Um, I think these two are the most important thing. And last thing is uh, the software engineering aspect once. Uh, so nowadays what's happening is it's not just on the research level, it's on it's also on the application level, right? Like uh, in the end, it should go to a customer or it should go to someone who he has to use it or he, she, whoever it is, they have to use it, right? So how do you uh, see it from a customer's lens? And I think this is where software engineering comes into picture. Mm -hmm. Having strong software engineering skill set, which involves like a full stack development, 
rough knowledge of the front end back end uh, kind of gives you an end to end view of how the product looks like so i think these are uh, good starting points to get into this field really interesting amazing and, and great advice so really appreciate you giving that um you know if people want to contact you or or ask you questions or you know connect mm -hmm. with you what's a good way for people to find you yeah i think they can uh, find me on linkedin and ask me any questions that's totally fine Thank you so much, Sumed, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate all of your insights and uh, everything you've shared. To the audience, thank you so much for listening to the AI Chat podcast. Uh, make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts and have an amazing rest of your day. If you are looking for an innovative and creative community of people using ChatGPT, you need to join our ChatGPT creators community. I'll drop a link in the description to this podcast. We'd love to see you there where we share tips and tricks of what is working in ChatGPT. It's a lot easier than a podcast as you can see screenshots, you can share and comment on things that are currently working. So if this sounds interesting to you, check out the link in the comment. We'd love to have you in the community. Thanks for tuning in to the AI Hustle podcast. If you could do us a massive favor, we would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. This helps people find the podcast. It helps people know this is a good place to go. And we would really, really appreciate it as it helps us continue to bring on incredible guests and share incredible content for you to listen to.